Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Should all wine bottles be forgot and never brought to Drew? Should old wine bottles be forgot and the days of old Lang wine? <laughs> Happy 2024. Hopefully like it's going to be today. Today is 2024. I, okay, so we're recording this in the past. So if everything's gone to shit already, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. We did not predict that. No, no, it, it's not our fault. I do not claim it. I do not claim 2024. Um, I can tell everyone that I am going into this new year holding my breath, tiptoeing, like moving, like I'm moving yes. through lasers, just like, right. Don't make any sudden movements. Exactly. The new year's vision is based on movement. Don't move. It's, like, it's a scared animal. Don't. It's a scared don't, animal. Don't approach it. It might bite you. Don't approach Slow it movements. rapidly or with gusto. <laughs> ease in. Dude, ease into the new year. You know, it's, you know, it's terrible is like. I think it was 2020. Like every year I'm kind of, every new year I'm kind of like, okay, here's another one. But 2020 was the one where I was like, yeah. And and now I'm like, never again, never fucking again. Like that's the only year I've done like a, like I always do a New Year's party, but that's the only year I've done like a dress up New Year's yeah. party. I was like, oh, we'll do like the swing in 20s from 2019 into 2020. That was a mistake because clearly we brought back the plague. <laughs> Dude. I think it was everyone doing that at the exact same right. time. Because, the universe was just like, no, we can't have this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's remind them how horrible the 20s were. I mean, that was coming after a plague. That's true. So, and out of a world war. The 20s and uh, other than. in 20s. Other than not being allowed to drink, which I'm like, after coming out of a plague and a world war, you think everyone would just desperately need alcohol. Yeah. Although that was part of the problem yeah, because then that, all the yes. men spent their paychecks on booze and then the women who had no control over their lives or their finances got pissed and they organized politically and got rid of drinking because of their irresponsible drunkard husbands. Yep. Thanks, men. Yay. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's okay, we brought it back. Well, I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. If this is your first time tuning in, it doesn't get better. <laughs> this is about it. It's kind of accurate. Um, before we get started, I do have a say their name. We haven't had one of those in a long time. So it it's not so much a say say their name because I don't necessarily have a name. Also, there's a bunch of people who are doing this, and okay. it just like I was kind of aware of it. A few years ago, but uh, my fellow showed me an article and it was super fucking funny. So have you heard of women who are going on dating apps and kind of catfishing people who were at the insurrection on January 6th? No. Okay. So there are women on dating apps like Hinge and Bumble and Tinder, yada, 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 who are switching their like political views to conservative and then... They're like matching with these super conservative guys who are bragging about being at the insurrection and committing legit crimes. Yeah. 
And then the women are just like, oh, wow, that's crazy. And then they keep sharing and sharing and sharing until the women get enough information to share with the the FBI. And I don't even know if I would call it so much of a catfish because it's like the guys are just bragging and the girls are just like, oh, really? The women are definitely like who they claim to be. They just switch their, you know, their profile from like liberal to conservative. And then these people are willingly and proudly volunteering this information. So there was, there is one woman on Bumble uh, who actually got enough information to on this, on this guy who was at the insurrection and turned it over the FBI. And he pleaded guilty because the evidence against him was just so strong. Cause he literally admitted yeah. to everything. That's crazy. So I just want to read a quote. Oh, whoops. I'm on the wrong article. That explains. So, um, so the woman referred to as witness one in the FBI affidavit had previously call recalled how quote comically minimal, minimal ego stroking from her led Trump supporters to give her information about their activities on January 6th. She said, I felt a bit of civic duty, I guess, but truthfully I was mostly just mad and thinking, fuck these guys. <laughs> and she's speaking anonymously, anonymously for fear of online reprisal. I mean, that's being a woman on the internet. You yep. don't you don't even have to do anything for someone to like dox the crap out of you. So I totally respect that. Her strategy, she said, was to say, wow, crazy. Tell me more on repeat until guys gave her enough to send their information to the FBI. Yeah, like that's not even like literally she's not doing anything. Well, and that's actually really smart because that's not leading questioning. You're not being like did you stab anyone? And the person's like, yeah. And then, you, and then they go back and they're like, oh, I just said that to, uh, you know, right. impress they're, they're her like, oh, or really like, I was me, just yeah. talking shit. It's like you were volunteering, this, volunteering this information. Right. Like you're prompting it by saying, tell me more, but you're not like leading it. Yeah. Yeah. And this guy, he, uh, so he pleaded guilty to assaulting law enforcement oh officers with chemical spray and a metal whip. Oh my God. Who brings them? What? I don't know. Like, it's so, it's so fucking insane. And also there are pictures of this guy at the riots. Like, but I just, I just think it is so hilarious. And uh, she went on to say, they just want to regurgitate a lot of these ideas to somebody. And it seemed like I was a willing participant. It definitely didn't take a lot of arm twisting to get them to start talking about it. Basically me being like, wow, so cool. Then what? What else? Was pretty much all it took. Wow. <laughs> she goes on to say, one of my friends was like, you basically got these confessions just being like, ha ha, then what? <laughs> Which is exactly what happened. Oh my god! And in the in the case of this guy, I'm not going to use his name because fuck him, and I don't I don't give a shit. He's just yeah. yeah. Um, witness one number one stumbled on stumbled on his profile and started asking him questions and found out he was very willing to brag to a woman he just met virtually. That's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, so this guy admitted to be to uh, she she asked were you near the were you near all the action and he said yes from the very beginning. <laughs> oh my god, it's just it's so. 
yeah, it's it's, it's funny. In, it's like obviously it's awful that the insurrection happened and that there were people there who were like assaulting officers yeah. and like breaking into the Capitol and try to overturn an election. But it's kind of great that this is how we can catch them. But this is like femme fatale shit for the 21st century. Like this is just this is just giving old school World War II spies like Oh, little old me, you know, mm, tell me more. Tell me your secrets. Like, right. I love it so fucking much. So uh, I want to end this with a quote from this, this specific person. Witness number one. I regret exactly nothing. LOL. I love that she throws like the LOL in there. I I think it was like probably a text interview or, you know, like a written, but also like what a fucking queen. I regret regret exactly nothing. LOL. And she's not the only person doing this. And it's just like, this was such a big like show of ego for so many people. That, like, you don't have to push them to talk about it. People were videotaping themselves there. People were live streaming. Like, they weren't trying to hide this. It's just, yeah. What I love about is there's probably, there's articles being written about it, and I bet it's it's still going to keep happening because they're they're too egotistical to be like, well, that's not going to happen to me. Like, they're they're not going to think that. 100%. 100%. And so this article is from NBC News. It was updated on December 20th, 2023. There are a bunch of other articles like from years ago. And I think they're going to keep coming out because again, this was this was not about protecting the election or the country. This was about ego. Yeah. And this was about, this was kind of like a big dick swinging thing. Really? Or not really. Yes, really. Yes, 100%. But yeah, so my fella's friend sent him that article and then I re-looked it up. So yeah, cheers to witness number one and witnesses from number one to infinity. Y'all are doing the Lord's work. It almost makes me want to reactivate my dating. Right? I know. I'm like, can I I just start one? Oh my God. Uh, No, it's, it's so funny. But also I think it's interesting because women are so conditioned to be safe online and yeah. like you don't trust anyone if you send pictures they're going to be used against you right and this I, is kind of stepping outside of that well i think that <laughs> i think first of all everyone should get that online safety education yeah everyone but especially us we kind of came up at the time where online safety was just becoming a, a thing. thing it was yeah. just becoming a thing that we talked about now kids are growing up with it regardless of gender but I think a lot of the guys are getting targeted with this. They never had to worry no. about, you know, is the person they're chatting with the person they think they're chatting or with. going yeah. to end up on to catch a predator. <laughs> like, but so I, I don't know. I just I think that's so that's so interesting. And just the wow, really? Wow, that's crazy. Then what? Like, it's so simple. Right. Yeah. Because they want to brag about it. Yeah, because this is a flex. Yeah. This is this is something to be proud of. And the arrogance. Oh, my God. But, yeah. Cheers to witness number one. That's my say their name today. 
That's I am amazing. fucking thrilled. Just, right? I'm, oh God, I want to do that. Oh, I'm tickled pink. But it, yeah, no, this is definitely giving like kind of femme fatale spy, you know? But for the digital age. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. So Kelly. Emily. Um, oh, we should probably talk about what we're drinking or not drinking. Um, my sinuses are on fire. Oh, no. So I'm not really drinking. Kelly is not really I, drinking. I'm on call, so I'm yeah, not Yeah, Kelly's a responsible person. Um, I am sipping a little bit of a seaworthy tale, this, that Hungarian wine that we drank for the Christmas yep. Witch episode. Um I'm seeing now the cap is not on. I know. I was like, I'm pretty sure you might not want to. I don't know how long the cap has not been on, but let's just like take a little whiff. It's wine. It's probably fine. Yeah. I'm not going to drink a lot of it anyway. He's fine. It's just kind of like something I have in my hand. Yeah. (laughs) Sip on mindlessly as Kelly tells me a beautiful story. Cheers with. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bottles. Cheers. Witness number one. Oh shit. That there we go. T- I was like, I need to hit the glass. I like, yeah, no, I hit like the foil around the neck. All right. So I am whining about Alice Parker. <gasps> I love Alice. I, I love the name we, Alice. We, we have a thing for Alice's. I, I have a, I have a thing for Alice and also that's my fake bar name. Yeah. That's going to be my, um, my right wing catfishing name. Alice. Alice Freedom. <laughs> yeah. You'll attract all of them. Then. Yes. Alice Christensen Weitzman. <laughs> Alice White Supremacy Hutchinson. I don't know. So I just I want to set set the scene a little. We're in the we're in the 1910s. Okay. Actually slightly before then. And, you know, gas heating isn't a thing yet. Okay. So, you know, like, I, I just think about this because we live in Minnesota. We've talked about that plenty of times. Mm-hmm. And I think about living in Minnesota in that time. And, like, if you were lucky enough to have a fireplace, having to put either enough wood in it overnight to make sure you don't freeze or having to have to have someone wake up to put wood in it overnight so you don't freeze and just hope to God your house doesn't start on fire. Or, you know, like, other means of staying warm and stuff like that. And I just, I think about that. And then that's where Alice Parker comes in. But I was just like, huh. Have you have you ever seen those listicles of like states with really weird laws? Yeah. There is there's a really weird law for Minnesota. And it's illegal to sleep naked. Yeah, it's illegal to sleep naked because you're going to freeze to death. Yeah, it's kind of like a you need to wear your fucking seatbelt because we're tired of dealing with dead bodies. (laughs) It's like you need to you need to wear clothes to bed because I don't want to pull your frozen corpse out of your house. There's one that's like you can't cross state lines with a goose on your head or yes, something. Yes, yes. And I'm like, I want to meet the person who made that a law, who 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 broke the law in such a way that they needed to have that on the books. I want oh, to meet that hero. It, oh, sorry. And apparently it is. It it is. Um, well, that's because in Minnesota, it's duck, duck, gray duck. It's not, not in, duck, it's duck, It's not goose. in Minnesota. Someone said it was. Oh, I wonder how many states have laws against crossing state borders with various fowl upon one's head. Yeah. Yeah. Some places it's a chicken. Other places it's a goose. It's just funny. Yeah. Anyways. So back to Alice. All right. 
Um, so Alice is trying not to freeze to death. Alice is trying not to freeze to death. I and love that for her. Sadly, this is this is like a weird collection of information because there's almost no information on Alice. What the fuck? And a lot of it is like contradicting information. So I found one, like I, I found several articles, but a lot of them are like regurgitations of the same article, which I hate. I've, you know, that happens to us a lot. That's actually a lot of my story too. Yeah. It's frustrating. But there was one really amazing article by a woman named Audrey Henderson in the Energy News Network from 2022 that like she did a bunch of work. And, like, shows a bunch of research while why there's so much, like, discrepancy in who this woman was. And, like, not what she did. What she did, like, there's a patent for it. So no one can yeah. say she didn't do it. But, like, who she is and, like, where she, where she was born and stuff like that. Um, and so, yes, thank you, Audrey, for, like, sharing your article. And then, therefore, that I can share more accurate information. Yeah. So a lot of my... A lot of it comes from like two to three articles because this episode is brought to you by Audrey. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> so most of the sites I found state that Alice was born in 1895 in Morristown, New Jersey, which is just east of New York, um, and would go on to attend classes at Howard University, a traditionally black college that actually accepted men and women. Oh, cool. Even in the 1910s. Um so a lot of, the, again, a lot of the articles say that she graduated with honors in 1910. But if you do the math, that's, she would be 15 years old from the date of birth they gave her. Which I'm like, okay, it's not impossible for a 15-year-old to graduate college. And it's not super common. Yeah, I mean, back then, everything was made up, including dates and times and ages. Right. Like, if she was 15 and unmarried, she was basically a spinster. Right. So according to some of the Howard University, or according to the Howard University Alumni Office, there was only one matching record for an Alice Parker who graduated in 1939, which is too late for the patent the R. Alice Parker did, because that was in 1919. So that's like, okay, that's probably not her. Um, there's also a source that says that Potentially, it wasn't Howard University. It was Howard University Academy, which was a high school program affiliated with the university that also lists an Alice Parker from Virginia among its graduates. Um, while they've both been identified as being born in Virginia, um, it's hard to tell who who it was. And so, you know, it's it could be one or the other, or it could be someone completely different because Parker is Alice's married name. And so it's possible she went to school under her maiden name, which we do not know what it was. Oh, that's frustrating. So. And Alice was not exactly yes. an uncommon name at the time. Right, exactly. It was um, like the Emily of the 1800s. Right, and it, it sounds like... um. Audrey reached out to the Howard University Alumni Association and asked, like, hey, can we get, like, any listing for an Alice, just an Alice, during the relevant time periods? But they said no because of confidentiality. Oh Which, my again, God. that's kind of like a big search, so I kind of understand it. Like, I mean, you're not asking for a specific person, but still, like, 
Most of those people are probably dead by now. I was going to say, can we just keep it within the range of, yes, these people are 100% dead. There's yeah. no way they're still alive. It's fine. Yeah. Um. So one of the things is... um. They did find, she found an Alice Parker in the New Jersey census record who was married to an Edward, which most of the sources say that she was married to Edward. So like that's okay. probably the right Alice. Um, and that she was listed at the time as a domestic cook, which definitely could have been a thing. Yeah. So because it was a 1920 census, the person that they found was listed as a 35 year old cook which would put place her birth date in approximately 1885, which is only 10 years off of the other one that they had listed. Um, so that definitely could be her. Um, and it just could be that she made this invention while being a cook. Like that, that yeah. is not out of the possibility. Yeah, of course. What's also interesting though, is a number of store, a, a number of sources state that Alice Parker died at 1920 in 1920. Oh, at either age 25 or 24 to either fire or heat stroke. But then there's the census that's kind of like, mm, maybe she didn't. Rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Right. Um, and if she was born in 1885, that would make her 25 when graduating from Howard University, which is a little bit more on par to, to standard, quote unquote. Yeah. So, so, so far we have... Alice Parker, who graduated from Howard University. Yep. Likely married someone named Edward. Yep. And was working as a working domestic, as domestic a domestic servant. servant. Yep. While doing something else. Yep. To do with not freezing to death. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> so this is what we're gonna talk about then. Um so Alice in 1919 filed and received a patent for a heating furnace. Wait, like an automatic one? Kind of. We'll talk about it. Okay, okay. Um, and if she was a cook living living in a, like a large house or an estate, um, it could definitely be a thing that she was like, God, it's cold in here. It's so hard to heat all these separate rooms. I'm running from room to room with all this wood or coal or whatever. Like this is a pain in the ass. <laughs> At least that's what I would have thought. It's like, hey, my calves look incredible, but this sucks. Right, exactly. <laughs> so she, there, like, that would actually make sense, even if she was a domestic servant of, like, yeah, being in a big old house. Well, I, I'm sure that at those times, depending on how big the house was, you had someone who had to stoke the fires for every room, every part of the yeah, house. Like, that's exactly. why those old houses, it's like... Every room has a fireplace. Every room has like the stove or the oven or whatever it is. And while the kitchen was probably pretty toasty, everything else was freezing. freezing. Exactly. Except for maybe like the master's quarters because there probably was a fireplace and like other things like that. But then, yeah, you have to have servants running around. Yeah. Yeah. And New Jersey, fucking cold in the winter. So I'll get to her actual patent in a little bit because I'm not done talking about Alice as herself. Um, so not only is little known about like her life, but there is no actual verifiable photo of her. 
There are some, like, if you Google her, there are some that come up. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Okay, so here here's the thing. The most widely distributed photo of Alice, um, someone found to be, it, that is actually, pro, is, it, it is a woman named Alice Parker, but it is a white woman that was born about five years after the 1919. She was born in 1924. Like one of the most common pictures of Alice. And she's a black woman. Yep. Which, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes there are very fair African-American people. I actually, people. that was my assumption. Is yeah. that I was like, oh, well, we don't even know who her parents were. You know, she could have a lighter right. complexion. Like, yep. you're nope. not, you're, you're, your heritage is not defined by right. your pigment. Yep. You know? So the black and white photo also makes it difficult. Yeah. There's a woman named Dr. Myas who was interviewed in Audrey's like article. And she said, quote, it's something I would love to learn more about in particular. And in Miss Parker's story to understand what challenges there were for someone in STEM. And then she talks about like how history is written by whoever wants to write it. And so that's why we lose so many of these women to history. And that, like, she truly is this hidden figure, more so even than, like, Katherine Johnson and a lot of others, because there's just nothing. It is wild, because this is the picture that everyone is using yep. for everything. Yep. So even Nickelodeon, like, has a version of that picture where they made her skin darker and then made her not smile, but you can tell it's, like, the same picture. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was a, it was a writer named Melissa Gowdy in 2019 that was like, okay, this seems to be a white woman in clothing that is more suggestive of the 1940s and fifties than of the mm-hmm. 1910s. And it is clearly a different person. Um, the biggest clue apparently to the identity of this woman was in one of the articles on newjersey.com. It credits under the photo lions-family.co.uk which if you go to that website, it is a, it, like a extensively large family genealogy portal of the so, Lyons family. So they know who this woman is. Yep. And it reveals that, yes, her name is Alice Parker, but she was born in London in 1924. Oh my fucking God. Because seriously, this picture yeah. is at, like people are using it for Black History yeah. Month. People are using it like for news articles. People are using it for, you know, like... Black owned business directory. Like, right. yep. Oh my God. And, and we, the estimate of like the, <laughs> so the woman in the photo was born in 1924 and the photo was probably taken in 1942. Okay. Um, so it's that, what we can say is the photo that is largely credited with being Alice Parker. Is an Alice Parker. Is an Alice Parker. Alice Parker. Exactly. Oh my God. That is insane. And like, it's really sad because, yeah, like, there's this extensive family history of this other Alice Parker, and then there's just absolutely nothing about the African-American Alice Parker or her experiences in life. Wow. And from what I could find, what Audrey could find, and what other people could find, they're not sure where it originally came from that that this photo became Alice Parker. But, yeah, like, most articles use that photo even some of them have that same photo, but like they've made the complexion darker. Yeah. And like I mentioned Nickelodeon and stuff like that. Like there are sometimes other photos of darker skinned people that they use. 
Um, of the ones that Audrey found, one was identified as Marie Van Britten Brown and one was identified as Bessie Blount Griffin, both of whom are other African-American inventors, but again, both born after the, the patent was filed in 1919. So as far as we know, there is no official verified photo that is actually this Alice Parker. Oh my God. Yeah. I love, okay. That is very sad. I'm also really glad I found an article that like talked about it because otherwise yes. I, I would have perpetuated it. So, yes. so yeah, if, if you're looking at our like Instagram, it's probably going to be a photo of her patent instead of her because there is no photo of her. So here's the crazy thing. I don't have a photo of my woman either. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> like random stuff. <laughs> like, dude, our, our cycles need to stop glowing in sync like this because it's I ridiculous. it's wonderful. Um, that is so crazy though. Yeah. All right. Now we'll actually get on to the patent. Okay. So first of all, I want to point out that like, even today, the, the like steps to filing a patent can be very complicated and demanding. And there's a lot of ways that it's really easy to lose a patent or not have enough information or your designs aren't good enough. And that was just as true in 1919. So the fact that Alice was able to even have a patent that had a clear explanation of the design along with a really well executed drawing suggested that she was incredibly intelligent as well as obviously educated which we knew but it yeah. also just shows how intelligent she was so well, I mean I'm educated but yeah I couldn't find I wouldn't a go I wouldn't shit. go around being like I'm intelligent <laughs> <laughs> that's why I had to do, get a degree yeah exactly because I can't you prove can, it on my you own can prove it with a piece of paper yeah so Alice's heating furnace was essentially a rudimentary heat exchanger comprised of a series of separate like mini furnaces. And then each mini furnace was connected to an air exchanger that created hot air from a combustion of natural gas. So at this time, natural gas was used in industrial applications, but this is the first time it was used or sh- like there was a patent showing in-home use for natural gas, which is what most of our heating is these days. Yeah, because I get my bill for it every yeah. month. <laughs> so her th- her thing also had like a combination of ducting that would be di- like you could direct the hot air throughout the d- house and into different rooms, which today is known as like zone heating. It's something some houses have, some don't. Uh, my house yeah. does not have it. So like in the winter, we have to like we close all the upstairs vent because heat rises. And mm-hmm. so that way we get the basement's not freezing. Yeah. But like you can have, like there are houses that have it where like upstairs is one zone and downstairs is another zone. And her design had a very like rudimentary version of that. And also had kind of like a rudimentary version of being able to kind of pick where you're sending the heat. So it would be like having a thermostat. It didn't have a thermostat because they didn't know what those were back then, but it was like the beginning of what could become I mean, it, it's, it is the beginning of what became today's modern heating systems, and her design would fit perfectly with thermostats and even smart technology today. And this is in 1919. And this is in 1919. Over 100 years ago. <laughs> yes. And yeah, so during this time, it was mostly wood burning or coal burning stoves or fireplaces. Um, and a lot of people thought nat- like natural gas was going to be superior, because if you think about it, not only... Are you not stoking fires? But there's no smoke when it comes to natural gas either. Yeah. Um, 
you don't have to deal with soot and ash. You don't have to deal with like cleaning stuff out. Using natural gas as a heating source eliminated the need for people yet yeah, to restoke the fires like you talked about or to have a freestanding stove. So this this having a heating system like Alice designed would vastly reduce the risk of fire from burning things overnight to keep your house warm. Yeah. Also, so like when when this kind of heating became more popular and people weren't, you know, literally burning wood in their homes anymore. Yeah. So there used to be a, a putty product that you would like roll on your walls yeah. to pick up the soot. Oh my God. That became Play-Doh. Oh, that's interesting. Because there was a, there was like, there was a woman who had all this like putty and she's like, the fuck do I do with this now? I don't need it anymore. And she like started, she like turned it into Play-Doh. That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, but that was such a thing. Like your house was covered in smoke, your walls, your furniture, your clothes, everything. You'd have to have your chimneys swept. Otherwise, you know, that could start a bunch of jaunty cockney boys who would dance on the roof. But like, yeah, there was all these hazards. And so like, not only did she create something that would be more efficient, but it also could potentially like save lives and stuff, which is like, I think incredible. So she would obtain the patent, like I said, in 1919, she did have an attorney that helped her, um, which I think makes sense. It's 1919. Like that's just smart women, let alone black women could not even vote at this point. (laughs) Um, but I think a lot of the credit still goes to her because I'm I'm sure she did it largely on her own because. Okay, I'm just going to say, yeah. if I was super smart and filed a patent, that doesn't mean I'm a fucking lawyer. It's right, exactly. an entirely different field. Like, I don't think her, I think her having a lawyer to help is just prudent. Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned, Alice's, this is a whole house heating system that is just so much more efficient than anything they had in those days. And this innovation fundamentally changed how indoor heating systems would eventually operate by being the first to incorporate individually controlled heating elements in each room, which would seamlessly adapt into modern smart home technology and everything we have. Which still stresses me out. I'm like, I know. (laughs) Like if my internet goes down, I want parts of my house to still function. Right. Um, But I also have really bad internet. So that's, that's part of it. Right. So eventually her patent would obviously end. She did not get to build it because she is a black woman in the 1919s, oh, which I'll, I'll get into that. She, so it never got to be put to use. Um, I think I'm guessing what happened is when her patent ended, other Expired. people would use it. Oh. Is my guess. I don't know. Like we can't tell, but eventually. Because we don't even have a picture of her. Right. Eventually, like the main designer, like what was Alice's design agency would come to fruition in 1935 in an improved version by scientists who created forced convection wall heaters that use, that did use coal still, but would <gasps> use an electric fan and duct work. Um, and then, yeah, like nowadays we use thermostats and forced air, all of which can actually like be attributed back to her designs, even though like she never produced them, it can be attributed back to her patent, which was the first of its kind. That is so cool. You know, some of this stuff I never think about where it comes from. Like, who was the the person you covered? It was like Margaret Knight. Who made um, the flat bottom paper bag. Yeah. And like how that was revolutionary. Right. And like, it's. Yeah. Well, it's like some of this stuff. You don't think about where it comes from. Then you find out a woman did it. And it's like, oh, my God, women have been so (laughs) instrumental in our daily lives. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and like I said, you, we have to remember that this this precedes both the civil rights movement, the women's liberation movement, and like all of that stuff. She's yeah. doing this all before then, and that's probably why we never saw her do anything. Like, think of all the systemic barriers in place, not only as a woman but as a African American woman. Um, and so, yeah, like unlike the Carrier Corporation and the Lennox International, there is no heating and cooling company named after. Alice Parker. And except for her patent application, there seems to be little to no evidence that she engaged in any scientific research. And yeah, it's it's reasonable to guess that, yeah, she just didn't have the opportunities or even like the ability to be in the science career yeah, to be able to further what she wanted to do. Imagine, like, I think, I think Alice's story is really a testament. So first of all, we only know that she existed because of this patent. Yep. And census records. But yeah, we don't even know if even that that, was actually her. We're, you know, just kind of making some logical jumps. Right. But think of all of the other, think of all of the talent that we have lost. All of the skill, all of the intelligence, all of the advancements. Think of how far behind we are. Because of racism, sexism, and homophobia. Right. Like, all, all, all like discrimination. Bullshit. Because of discrimination, we are shooting ourselves in the foot. Right, like we could constantly. have had natural gas heating in 1919. So think of like where the systems could be today if that had happened. Minnesota did not have to pass a law saying that you can't sleep naked. Yeah. you. We could have been sleeping naked. Yeah. That is so frustrating. So, so despite the fact that there is so little about Alice Parker in her life, she has gotten some recognitions in recent years. Mm-hmm. In 2019. With the wrong photo on everything. I, <laughs> I, I didn't look it up because I'm like, I don't want to know. But in, ni- in 2019, the National Society of Black Physicists honored um, Alice by stating that her revolutionary invention, quote, conserved energy and paved the way for the central heating systems we all have today. Also, New Jersey claimed her as a native resident because, like, that's one thing we're like, okay, we know she was from New Jersey because yes. that's what the patent said. Um, and so the New Jersey Chamber of Commerce Commerce established the Alice H. Parker Women's Leaders in Innovation Award also in 2019 to honor women who utilize innovation to improve life at home. Um, the New Jersey Chamber of Commerce has also been working toward making an effort to obtain her background information and is as far as I know, still in the process of creating a profile on who she was and like what that was. So some of the, some of the, some of the um, information that Audrey got for her article was given to her by the New Jersey chamber of commerce because Mm -hmm. they're also trying to like figure out who she was, which I think is great. You gotta get the records from Howard. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Aside, aside from like those two recognitions, also, like, if you just think of the impact of seeing her, like, just hearing her story that and the impact that can have on um, black children and mm-hmm. being like, oh, I can be in a STEM career. Like, not, let alone, like, women being in a STEM career, but, like, women of color. Ameri- yeah, exactly. Yeah. People of color being in STEM fields and, like, just being like, you can do this. Like, well, it, it's, it's not just white men anymore. Anyone can be in a STEM field. Anyone can have patents. Anyone can do what they want to do. Well, and I think that's that's the trick. It's not just white men anymore, but it never was just white yeah, men. Yeah, exactly. It has never just been white men. Yeah, as much as people want to make us believe that, 
It hasn't been. Because those are the only stories we're telling. It's like, no, 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 no. Those are the only stories we're telling because those are the ones we're choosing to tell. Right. Also, because of systemic racism, sometimes those are the only stories we have because stories like Alice's get erased. Or people like Alice are not permitted to flourish. Yeah, exactly. And that, that really is the thing is that like history is written by whoever chooses to write history. And in 1919, that's going to be white men because that's who got taught to read and write. I actually, I like that quote so much better than history is written by the winners because as we, as we discussed in our daughters of the Confederacy episode on our Patreon, go listen to it if you want to just have a rage stroke, um, Hey, the Confederate, the Confederacy lost and they have had a huge hand in writing our history as a country. And it is not the correct history. Right. And they, yeah, like they still fucking are working a God. Ah, yep. That's kind of what I did when I finished. Ah! Writing. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God. Just the, the, the implications of this whole story, not just like for Alice, but all of the other people who are Alice, who Alice represents. So frustrating. Yeah. I don't even know what to title her parts. We'll, we'll, we'll get the hottie without a body. (laughs) Exactly. We'll, we'll get the daughters of the Confederacy episode up on Patreon. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's for our December one. So it'll be, it'll be up. I would hope so. December ends in like two days. Yeah. <laughs> Emily's like, and? And? I have till Sunday. I can do whatever I want. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. All right, Emily. Who are you whining about? So, (laughs) this was not planned, but I am also whining about a woman. Named Alice? No, oh. no, who has no picture and who has sparse to no details about her life. That's going to be a fun but one to find pictures. But it is her, I know, it's it's just going to be us shrugging. Yeah, like, like, uh. <laughs> I mean, it'll probably be Alice's patent and then I have a, I have a photo that is representative of this person okay, too. Good. But uh, 
So Kelly and I, for the month of January, are doing the 40 Meaningful Miles for the Trevor Project. So mm-hmm. the Trevor Project uh, started out as like a crisis line for LGBTQ plus youth. It was the only one in the United States. And it's grown to offer program support, education resources, in a variety of forms to LGBTQ plus youth. And in their research, they found that... LGBTQ plus youth who feel accepted by adults in their lives had 40% chance, lower odds, excuse me, 40% lower odds of attempting suicide. So to support them and fundraise, we are participating mm-hmm. in their, in their fundraiser, fundraiser 40 meaningful miles. So you can check that out on our Facebook page. Um, it's, it's undermined because Kelly and I couldn't like join them together as a team yeah, so we're just kind of frustrating we're just kind of working off of mine but it's both of us and we will be walking moving crawling running generally moving in a forward direction 40 miles across the month of january our I mean, goal it doesn't say you can't move backwards uh, you know what that is true we're just we're gonna walk backwards although if you're trying to walk backwards aren't you moving forward because that's the place you're trying to go maybe <sighs> Thank God this isn't high on her street. I yeah, would, my mind would, would be, be like, <gasps> my mind would be so damaged. Yeah. <laughs> but we have a fundraising goal of $200. We've already raised 30. Boop, boop. So you can yeah, go on our yeah. Facebook page at whining about her street and contribute to that. But talking about, you know, LGBTQ plus youth, it kind of got me in that headspace and talking about, you know, community and how important it is for members of the LGBTQ community to feel heard, accepted, and connected to each other. So that brought me to Rosalie Rose Bamberger, as I like to call her the first daughter, and we'll find out why. So it's not often that we cover a woman without her own wiki page, but in this case, the legacy of what Rosalie Rose Bamberger created was so significant that it has nearly eclipsed her as a person completely. Rose Bamberger was born in 1921. I don't know when or where. Oh, well, see, I at least had a where. I... (laughs) We know that by the 1950s, she was living in San Francisco and dating a woman named Rosemary, which is just the cutest shit. Rosalie and Rosemary. I'm never going to get over that you didn't marry that dude from high school, Kelly. You could have been these two, but you had to ruin it by actually falling in love and marrying someone you care about, not just for their name. God damn it. Um... So their relationship was not only taboo in the 1950s because obviously it was the same sex relationship, but it was also interracial as Rose was Filipina and Rosemary was white. So again, I don't know if Rose was born to Filipino immigrants, if she like immigrated herself, like there's so much of that history that we just do not have. So even though San Francisco would become to know for known for its strong LGBTQ plus community, During the 50s, you know, that time that everyone wants us to go back to, but it actually like really fucking sucked. Terrible. There were still strict laws against homosexuality or even the perception of homosexuality or non-gender conformity. Homophobia was also deeply entrenched in the anti-communist Red Scare rhetoric. In fact, the hunt for an expulsion of suspected queer people from government jobs was known as the Lavender Scare. It was like happening at the exact Mm -hmm. same time. And it didn't take much for someone to be accused. And a single accusation was all it took. And like, 
I had a friend and they were they were in the military in the 90s and they were telling me stories of so they so they are non-gender conforming at the time they presented as female. Okay. So they had to this was like during the don't ask don't tell era yeah. and so they had to tread this line of being competent enough to like do the job and keep their job, but also asking enough questions from male superiors as to not be perceived as too competent, therefore too butch, and then therefore getting kicked out for being a suspected lesbian. Jesus Christ. Like it is horrifying. I'm like, I'm sorry, you're actively discouraging people from being good at their jobs in the fucking military because- In like the worst uh, way possible, yeah. Like- it's and that was the nineties. This is the fifties. Shit is crazy. It's awful. Well, and I like that the determination of how good their job at their job they are is how much they ask questions of their male superiors. Yes. Like that's just weird. Yes. No, it's so it's so fucked. And like in the fifties, I imagine it's even easier to quote unquote step out of line of traditional gender norms. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, you wore pants? GTFO. And you're a woman? Yeah, GTFO. Do you have a do you have a permit for those pants? And like if you're a guy, you have to be like uber masculine. Yeah. Like, oh, you like show tunes? Nope. You lost your fucking job. Yeah. Like you're not man enough. Yeah. You you lost your job and we're gonna call the cops on you because you might be gay. Yeah, no, it's it's so disgusting. And and again, like people talk about uh with like the Me Too movement it being a witch hunt. I'm like let me refer to you to, you to these actual fucking witch hunts mm-hmm. where women and members of the LGBTQ plus community were specifically targeted. Also civil rights leaders. Let's talk about those witch hunts. So bars, which were one of the few places that the LGBTQ plus community could gather and socialize, were often raided by police, a la the Stonewall Inn. San Francisco police in particular frequently raided lesbian bars. Women could be arrested for a variety of quote-unquote infractions, including cross-dressing, see-wearing pants, or even just being perceived as too masculine. Your hair is too short. You're not wearing a dressy enough dress. Like, it's absurd. And we've talked about this in the past. Like, I, I think in California specifically, they used to have laws that... You had to have on a certain, if you were a man, you had to have on a certain number of male articles of clothing. Like when I co- covered um, Sir Lady Java. Oh, yeah. I remember that. The drag queen. And she would be like, well, I'm wearing a sock and a watch and like something else or and like yeah. a tie. And then she's like in her super flamboyant like showgirl outfit. And she's like, but I'm wearing socks. So suck my dick. Like, yeah, she's like, I'm wearing enough that you have to consider me a man. Exactly. She she like took the law to its, it's logical malicious extreme. Compliance. Malicious compliance. That's in it. the best way possible. In the most beast. Sir Lady Java. She was just wonderful i love her so much also she always makes me want coffee i know right <laughs> like, that's what i was just thinking like, like I why want would i have coffee now. right now so bah, 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 bah. so yeah if you were too femme as a man you could be arrested and lose your job if you were too masculine as a woman you could be arrested and lose your job and the the line was very very thin for stepping outside of either of these boxes so these laws and raids were 
absolutely devastating to the queer community. Not only were individuals persecuted, but the constant threat of police raids or arrests prevented community growth and organization. Because you don't have any place you can commune and you can't open up to other people because you don't know if they're going to like have you you arrested or kill you. Like the, the, the threat is so high. And you don't have the luxury of being wrong. You don't have the luxury of putting your trust in the wrong person. So this creates a sense of isolation with individuals or couples existing as small islands with few other ways to connect with other members of the LGBTQ plus community. Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon, a lesbian couple, were struggling with this sense of isolation, complaining to a male couple that they knew that they didn't have any other lesbian friends. The male couple happened to know Rose and Rosemary and introduced the two couples who were thrilled to make a connection with other lesbians. Like, can you imagine? It's like you're lucky enough to kind of find your partner in all of this chaos and danger. And you're like, but no one else knows what we're dealing with. Like, I have to bitch to you about relationship stuff. Yeah. You have to like you can't your partner can't be your everything. No. Like, that's not healthy. You have to talk about with other people who get what you're what you're dealing with. And especially this is such a you can't at this time, you can't go to your like straight girlfriend and be like, you know what? My partner, she's just really driving me crazy with this because you don't know if you can trust that person. Your friend might be like, oh, my God, you're not straight. Let me call the cops. Exactly. It's it's so isolating. Please sit there while I make a phone call. The amount of anxiety. Ugh. So the four women became close, but lamented that there wasn't an easier way to meet other members of the LGBTQ plus community. And that's when our gal Rose got an idea to create their own social club for lesbians. Rose hosted the first meeting at her and Rosemary's home on September 21st, 1955, with four lesbian couples in attendance. I love this. I do too. The group discussed the issues facing the LGBTQ plus community in San Francisco, including the fact that there was nowhere to socialize and dance safely. Like even something as simple as dancing with your partner. Like we take that for granted constantly. Even being able to dance with a girlfriend. Right. I take that for granted all the time. So dancing with a member of the same sex was straight up fucking illegal. And being seen in a no lesbian club could endanger a woman's job, housing, their relationship with their family, and even their personal safety. What started as an impromptu safe space for lesbians would become one of the country's first lesbian rights organizations. The Daughters... Of Bilites. Or I, I, it might be Bilitis. I think it's Bilitis. Okay, I, I think you're right. I say Bilites because that's just how I initially write. It's, I think it's Bilitis. Fuck. I, I, should... be bi- to, I, I was like looking at B-I-L-I-T-I-S. I think it's Bilitis or Bilitis. I'm going to say Bilitis. Fuck what? The one thing that I should have looked up for my story ladies because i that's how i say it in my head so i didn't think about it I so know, but it's fantastic so my next session section is called what's in the name so it says bill e e so it's bill dash e dash tis so billy tis belitis okay so the organization's name which we have just learned how to say doctors of belitis served a dual purpose of hiding the organization's true purpose 
unless you were in the know. Belitis is a func- fictional... Con- con- okay, I... All of my mental energy is going into not saying politis. <laughs> Belitis is a fictional contemporary of the famous lesbian poet, Sappho, ever heard of her, who appears in Pierre Louis. Louis, I don't care. This isn't about them. 1894 work, The Song of Belitis. In this work, Belitis is living on the Isle of Lesbos with Sappho. Do you are you seeing where we get all of these terms? I love all of them. Yes. Yeah, because Sapphic is Sapphic. Or Sapphic is female, yeah. female like lovers. And then Lesbos. Yeah. Do oh I have God. to explain it? This is the best thing ever. So while the song of Belitis was undeniably erotic lesbian poetry, it wasn't super well known. Probably because it was erotic lesbian poetry. <laughs> Um, right, like if you're not a lesbian, you probably don't care. Well, especially to non-lesbians. And actually, um, the the couple that I mentioned at the beginning who were like, we don't have any lesbian friends. And then their their gay friends were like, oh, my God, I know this couple. And like introduced yeah. them to Rose and Rosemary. They didn't know about Belitis. They didn't know about that. Yeah. So it was kind of one of those things. It was ve- it, it was, was like, if you know, you know. Yeah. If you know, you know. But if you're not a lesbian, you definitely don't know. Yeah. You 100% do not know. Yeah, so if you, you can just be like, oh, I'm part of the Daughters of Belitis. And people are like, okay. So this, the association with poetry, especially obscure poetry, allowed the group to claim they were a poetry club. Aww. Which was very on brand for ladies. Yeah. Uh, rather than a lesbian, lesbian rights organization, which would have had serious consequences additionally the daughters of part played off traditional traditional american women's groups such as the daughters of the revolution or the abhorrent daughters of the fucking confederacy i like it tell me how you really feel (laughs) Ah! just gonna scream this whole episode i'm still not over it still not over it never gonna get over it right until they don't exist anymore. i know i'm like i can't get over something that is continuing to do harm so uh so this was this kind of like played on it so, yeah. so like the daughters of what the fuck ever was a very common trope and like time, yeah. naming convention for women's groups so daughters of belitis we're a poetry club like no one's gonna blink an eye to maintain secrecy, the group designed a pin that members could wear to identify each other. And it read, Que vive, French for on alert. I said it wrong and I do not care. I don't think so. In 1957, when the Daughters of Belitis filed as a nonprofit, the description of their organization was kept so vague that founding member Phyllis Lyons said, quote, it could have been a charter for a cat raising club. Which I'm like, I have more questions <laughs> yeah, like, about a cat, cat raising club. <laughs> so the organization struggled with balancing between secrecy and then being available to potential members. These opposing missions led to many of the original eight participants no longer associating with the group within the first year, including Rose Bamberger and then uh, Rosemary, of course. Yeah. So Rose, along with several other members, were working class women of color, and they were even more vulnerable to discrimination and for their own safety needed to keep a lower profile. This led to two other secret groups being formed called Quarterfoil and Hal Icone. 
that also don't have wiki pages, so I don't know anything about them, but that's part of the point. They were super secret. Rather than becoming a competitor with Daughters of Belitis, however, these these more secretive organizations held a very important space in the lesbian scene. Like, if you think about this as an ecosystem, serving people, like, they fill this very important niche. As historian Marcia Gallo says, quote, they recognized that many women felt shame about their sexual desires and were afraid to admit them. They knew that without proper support, the self-confidence to develop the self-confidence necessary to advocate for one's rights, no social change would be possible for lesbians. So you have kind of like the daughter of Belitis or daughters of Belitis who are a little, they're more active, they're a little more out there and they become this like big advocacy organization. Which is great. Which is great. No one's complaining except the homophobes and good because they suck. But then you have these other organizations that are just trying to cultivate and be a safe space for the lesbian community and people who aren't ready to be out there for whatever reason. Because a lot of the issues that a lot of one of the main reasons that people who are originally founding members of the DOB couldn't continue is because they were working women of color. They didn't have the privilege of whiteness and they didn't have the privilege of money yeah they're like i can't i can't be as active because i'm gonna lose my job and then i can't survive exactly i mean you you look at uh the women's rights movement you know women's suffrage it was primarily led by upper middle class white women because they were the ones who could afford both socially and financially to you know be active in that movement and that led to a fuck ton of racism and a lot of women being left behind, which yeah, is just, I'm like, big problem. Ah, women's suffrage is good, but also like we left so many people behind and we, yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's just, so it's bad. frustrating. Um, but yeah, so the, these organizations aren't competing with each other. They're not like criticizing each other's mission. They're, it's just like, hey. If the DOB is like too much visibility for you. We have options. We have options, but also it's like cultivate yourself and your own identity and your own self-confidence because then you can fight for everyone else. But if you're, if you can't even accept yourself, it's hard to, to advocate for other people like you. Yeah. And just that, that community and that safety, I can't imagine how refreshing it would be. In like whatever environment was right for you. Yeah. So neither of these organizations have a wiki page. uh, Probably a testament to their secrecy. Uh, The DOB, or Dars of Belitis, would prove to be a hugely successful organization stirring chapters in New York City, LA, Chicago, and Rhode Island. And publishing their own magazine called The Ladder, which was the first nationally distributed lesbian publication in the United States. What? Wow. what? Their work in organi- organizing and educating lesbians across the country didn't go unnoticed as both the CIA and FBI surveilled group members. What's up, Lavender Scare? Yeah, right. Jesus. Like, don't, don't you think they have better things to be doing? Do, do you ever think that the people who are surveilling, like, Martin Luther King Jr. and then the doct- daughters of Belitis and all these, like, do you think they ever got together and they're like, like, what the fuck are we doing? Guys, say it. Does this seem a little weird to you? Seem a little weird? 
Anyone else? No? Nope. I'm okay. Fuck me, I guess. Never I guess mind. this is fine. I guess this is normal. God. Though Rose Bamberger and Rosemary had officially left the DOB and started more secretive organizations, they were still on the DOB mailing list. Like, they were still supportive. They just literally, for their own yeah. financial and physical security, couldn't, couldn't be that open yeah. about it, which is really sad. I think that's just a testament to how suffocating these laws were. Unfortunately, likely due to their secretiveness, we don't know much more about Rose and Rosemary. And according to census records, they would stay together until Rose Bamberger died in 1990 and Rosemary died in 2010. Dang, that's pretty And recent. I'm like, shit, no, I need to travel back in time and get her to write a book. <laughs> Tell me your story. Give me birth dates. Give me a fo- something. Though Rose Bamberger, the working class woman of color, is credited with forming the Daughters of Belitis, she was only an active member for about six months due to concerns for her safety and the safety of other working women of color. Because of this, we don't know much about her. What we can take from her story is the importance of community, a sense of security, and the intersectionality in in all social activism. Though the Daughters of Belitis were founded in the 1950s, many of the concerns that sparked their founding still plague the LGBTQ plus community today, particularly LGBTQ plus youth. Isolation, fear, and shame are feelings that many queer youth can sympathize with. But the Trevor Project is working to help. Starting in 1998 as the Trevor Lifeline, the first national crisis in intervention suicide prevention line for LGBTQ plus youth. The Trevor Project has grown to provide in-person and online resources, educations, and more to support LGBTQ plus youth. Sorry, everyone knows I can't speak when I'm sober. So as I said at the top, to support this mission, Kelly and I are participating in their 40 Meaningful Miles Challenge, which is a testament to uh, queer youth who feel accepted by adults in their lives, have a have 40% lower odds of attempting suicide. You can donate to our goal of $200 on our Facebook page and see updates as we walk, run, crawl, generally move in some kind of direction during the month of January. So we're going to, I'm, we're going to start that like January 1st. Yep. I don't care how hungover I am. I will crawl. Even if it's just crawl into the fridge to get a Sprite. (laughs) Does does our walks to be drunk taco bitches count? Oh my God, of course they do. Every step counts. But like we've covered so many of these women, you know, from the LGBTQ plus community and like the common themes of isolation, finding community, creating community. And, and then even just when you find other people who have the same feelings as you do and realizing you're not alone and how totally life-changing that is. And I think it's easy for us to be like, well, that was the 50s. That was the 40s. That was the whatever. It's still going on. It's 2024. And there are so many kids who are growing up feeling like they're broken and that they're not right and that they're not deserving of love. And it it just, it breaks my heart. So we want to donate to a cause that's already doing the hard work of supporting them. But yeah, that is the story of Rosalie Rose Bamberger. I like to call her the first daughter. And she has no picture. I don't know where or when she was born. 
Yeah, which is just sad. God fucking damn it. <laughs> Can we stop doing this? Can we stop picking women who are just so underrepresented that it is rage filling? Yes. Cool. Cool. Well, Kelly, what, what are you thankful, thankful for? for? What are you thankful for? Um, I'm thankful for just a really nice, I had a really nice holiday. I got to see all of my family. Um, and yeah, I'm just really thankful that I was able to do that and, you know, that my family's still around and yeah. Tell me, what are you thankful for? Um, I'm thankful for a really good holiday. Yeah. I got to, uh, I got to spend it with my partner's family and like, I love his siblings and all their spouses so much. And I got to see his nephew, little Lolo, and he's just the cutest little thing ever. And I want to commit violence in his name because he's so cute. Commit violence in his name. Yep. Yep. In his name for him. The blood of my enemies is my gift to him. That's fantastic. He's so sweet. Um, But also, yo, it was with my, my partner's parents. I know there was some anxiety about that, especially like whenever I... Does it ever go away when you're around like your your significant other's parents that you're not kind of on edge? Kelly, who's been married for like ten years, tell me it goes away. Please, God, tell it me does. it goes away. It okay, goes away, trust me. <laughs> either either you get along really well that you're like I'm in, or you just don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> cool, what happens. Cool. But it went really well. It was really nice. Um, and yeah, it was it was a really good holiday and I'm really thankful. I'm very I'm also very thankful for the people in my life who I love and like I was a little stressed out buying gifts this year and I'm like, but I'm so lucky to have all these people I want to buy things for. So yeah. You're great. You're great. No, you're great. No, you're great. No, you hang up first. Okay, fine. <laughs> Click. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Bitch, you weren't supposed to hang up. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening to the first episode of 2024. Oh, my God. Oh where my are God. we? When are we? What's happening? Of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory. Instagram at WAHpad. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find all of our sweet-ass merch. A link to our Patreon where you can listen to our bonus episodes if you donate for a little as $1 a month. And a link to our Buy Me a Coffee where you can buy us a bottle of wine for $5 or more. And One tell time. us what you want or we'll find something based on your name we're really good at following directions yes especially when people are giving us money yes always that's about it though also raise five stars wherever you listen thank you so much for listening to another episode of whining about history i'm emily i'm kelly have an empowered new year y'all bye Bye. 2024 kick it in the dick